Good afternoon. We are glad you're here at Manhattan Presbyterian Church as we come to worship the Lord. We continue our sermon series through the, the book of Philippians and get into one of the weightier parts of this. It really is a, a weighty part we're going to be looking at today. It's one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture, but it's one of those texts you're almost afraid to preach on because it deals with death and eternity and a lot of these things that are just difficult to talk about sometimes. Uh, and at the same time, it's, it's a joy. It's one of those things that helps focus us in, and I love it for that reason. Uh, one of the things that, when I'm generally studying, I like to listen to music, uh, just to have it playing in the background. And I remember a few years ago when I was looking at this passage and really studying it, there was a song that, that came on the radio, and it really hit me because it really focused in on, on what we're talking about here in some regard. It's a song called Closer to Love, and I won't sing it to you because I'm a horrible singer. And it says this, though. It says, she got the call today, one out of the gray. And when the smoke cleared, it took her breath away. She said she didn't believe it could happen to me. I guess we're all one phone call from our knees. We're going to get there soon. I really love these words because it brings my mind to think about life and eternity from this wide angle. It reminds me that things won't always go the way I expect them to go. And it reminds me that Really, death is inevitable. It forces us to think about the dash between the dates on our future gravestones. And if you grasp this text, if you grasp what Paul is talking about here, then you're going to grasp what the Christian life is about. You'll live well and you'll die well. And that's really what I want for my life, and that's what I want for your life, for our life. And so let's read our text beginning in Philippians 1. Verse 18b, if you ever wonder about why something would be B, basically a bunch of monks are the ones who put the verses in. And today we sometimes think, no, you should have started it here, not there. So, 18b. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in my flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So let's be honest. We are rich. We have more clothes than we have closet space. We have access to amazing medical facilities. Our crime rate is crazy low. We, we don't wait for gunshots to be shot. We call the police as soon as our neighbor's music's too loud. We're personally offended when our neighbors go a week or two too long without mowing their grass. Fifteen minutes after the power goes off, we're panicking and waiting for, for them to declare a state of emergency. And the reality is we walk through life on these soft rugs of, of comfort. And I'll be honest with you, this afternoon I want to rip that soft, comfortable rug out from under your feet. And I want to do it for a good reason. My hope is that when you stand up to leave this evening, you will do so with nothing 
but the solid foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to stand upon. And you may call this morbid. I call it helpful or hopeful calibration. So let me remind you of a few realities. This year, 57 million people worldwide will breathe their last breath. 57 million. In fact, since our call to worship not long ago, the lives of more than 3,000 people have come to an end. In 2014, over 2.4 million Americans will die. That's roughly the population of Kansas. Around 40% of these are going to be sudden, unexpected. Let me bring this into a number we can understand a little better. 4,100 Americans went to bed last night and are not alive at this moment. Many were worried about jobs and bills, sporting events, and today they realize those things don't really matter at all. So it's going to happen to your loved ones. It's true, 100% of people born today die. It's going to happen to you as well. It's, if you're sitting here today, I can guarantee one reality. You will die. Most likely, it's going to be from heart disease. However, 40,000 Americans will die in an auto accident before 2014 ends. And that comes to 117 people per day who are going to hop in a car and they're going to die before they reach their destination. Yet, this is nothing compared to the 1,500 people who will die in the United States today because of some form of cancer. When this day is done worldwide, 150,000 people will have met their creator. And if you trust the words, words of Christ, and you should, for those whose faith is not in Christ, the day of their death is worse than anything they could have imagined. However, for sinners whose faith is in Christ alone, for those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ and who die this very day, it's a day of amazing joy and, and one that leads us to go on to be with Christ. You know, a quick look at the book of Philippians that we've been working through will tell you that this is a book about suffering and a book about joy as they go together for those who are in Christ. And so our text this afternoon begins with Paul saying, Yes, and I will rejoice. If you remember the last time that we were meeting, uh, we saw that he is rejoicing because Christ is preached wherever it is, whether it's people doing it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons or selfish reasons, he's rejoicing that the gospel of Christ is preached because Paul has one passion, one focus, one reason for life, and that is Jesus Christ. And so even while things are not going the way that he's, he's planned them to go, He's rejoicing. He's rejoicing in Christ. He, he follows this by stating in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul is simply saying that what he desires most is that he will be right before the eyes of God. Um, to, to put it another way, Paul is saying he's not really concerned with the way that this trial is going to end or what the outcome is going to be, but whether he will be faithful to God during these times. Paul wants to represent Christ well. And he is confident that, that God will hear the prayers of the Philippians and that he will be strengthened by the Spirit of Christ. Their prayer for him is that Paul will be made strong and remain faithful by the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. It's, it's really just an actual uh, case of what is Jesus said in Mark 13, 11, when he says, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say but say whatever is given to you in that hour for it's not you who speak but the holy spirit 
And so it's this confidence, not in himself, but in the Holy Spirit that leads Paul to be expectant that he will not bring shame on the name of Christ, no matter what he faces in this trial. In verse 20, then, we get to the heart of this text. Paul continues saying, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as in always with Christ, will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Again, Paul is not concerned about his life. His concern is with the, the honor of his Savior. His concern is with the name of Jesus Christ. He knows that the temptation that is coming to him is that he's going to want to sustain his life at all costs. That's really what it is. It's the classic question. You've probably heard it before. If a, if a gun were pointed at you and you were asked, are you a Christian? How would you answer? Paul has thought this through. He's in the actual situation, and really he's resolved that the honor of Christ is of greater importance than his life. Already Paul has said that he desires that Christ be honored in his body by life or by death. Now he goes to, place, to a place that few of us can really understand. Remember, Paul is sold out to that one single cause, the glory of Jesus Christ. It's not that people today are not sold out, though. We, we are. We see them all the time. We see it in the news. They're just often not sold out to anything that really matters. You might have heard a couple of years ago about the guy that is his 26,000th 26, Big Mac. Not the Super Size Me guy, either. Uh, this is a guy that's just crazy dedicated to eating Big Macs. His name is Don Gorski, and he's now a retired prison guard. Uh, really, when the story goes back, he says in May of 1972, he bought a car, and afterwards, he, he went out, and to celebrate, he bought a Big Mac. In the next 42 years since then, though, he ate a Big Mac every single day, so that he has now eaten over 26,000 of these. He's only missed eight days in that period. What dedication. What Stupid, ridiculous dedication. I mean, we learn this stuff almost every day. Who, these people that are sold out so much that they constantly show up in the news. One of my favorites that I learned about years ago was Julia Butterfly Hill. Butterfly is not her, her parents' given middle name for her. Um, she was an environmentalist, a, a tree hugger. <clears throat> in 1997, the Pacific Lumber Company uh, planned to cut down this, uh, this roughly 1,500-year-old tree. Uh, it was a California redwood. It's huge, 180 feet tall, uh, just enormous tree. And she cared about this tree, and so she named it. Of course she named it. It's named Luna. And she wanted to save this tree from being cut down. So on December 10th of 1997, she climbs up in this tree and decides she will live there so that they won't cut it down. Um, she remained there until December 18th, 1999. And that's 738 days that she lived in a tree. Over two years in a tree, and she lived there during 40 mile an hour winds, freezing rain, thunderstorms. She lived on these two six foot long pieces of wood and had to live her life up there. She was dedicated. She was sold out to a cause to save a tree, and it worked. But who really cares? Sure, it's noble on some level, but it's a soulless tree. And now I must admit that I'm not someone who daily lives like I'm about to speak to you. I, I preach to you what I have been preaching to myself and what I will continue to preach to myself in the coming days and, and weeks and years going forward because I, I want to be this person. And I also believe that through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and your life that we can be this person. It's realistic. My hope is really that I might be sold out to one thing, to the person of Jesus Christ, to the gospel. 
And this morning, we're looking at Paul as someone who did just that. To live sold out to Jesus Christ. And I admit, not everything in Scripture is, is seen as an example to illustrate or to mimic. Uh, David was a good king, right? Uh, David killed a, a giant, therefore go out of here and, and kill a giant. There's a lot of other things David did we wouldn't encourage you to do either. But here we have a legitimate example of what it means to really live the Christian life. And we're seeing this in Paul. This verse is so short, Philippians 1.21, that you could memorize it right now. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, don't read over that too quickly. It's one of those things that really, if you've been in the church for any time, you've heard so much that we, we tend to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. This is Christianity. This is the Christian life. What Paul means by this is that his life is an opportunity to serve Christ. And death? Well, death is better because it brings him into the very presence of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.8 makes clear that death, in fact, brings us immediately into the presence of Christ. It says, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Christian, the moment you die, you are with Christ. Die today with Christ today. Eventually, your soul and your body will be reunited, but for now, we come immediately into the company of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Paul is saying, at least in part, that he would rather be dead than alive. It's a weird statement. Why would he say that? Does Paul not value life? I mean, that's a legit question, isn't it? What we see in the life of Paul in our text is that Paul does, in fact, value life just not as highly as he values Jesus Christ. When we first read Philippians 1.21 and we hear Paul lay down this classic line, to live as Christ and to die as gain, we, we kind of stop, I, I think, and just say, wow, what a statement, right? I mean, if, if you're paying attention at all, that's what you do. And if we really thought about what we just read, though, we, we might feel this rug being pulled out from under our feet. And then Paul continues in verse 22, and really it just gets weirder. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Did you hear that? Let's read it again slowly. Listen to what he's saying. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'll never forget when I really understood what Paul was saying here. It was like I, I ran into a brick wall. You know, it makes you a little disoriented and confused. Which I shall choose, I cannot tell. You mean that Paul was at a place where he could choose life or death. This is certainly not a situation like euthanasia. It's not that Paul was in so, much, so great a pain that he thought, well, death would be better than this. He's in prison, yes, but he was not depressed. He was not in so much pain that, that he's really looking to escape it. And this, we see a contrast for the unbeliever. There's nothing good about death. It's the worst thing in the world. No quality of life is really so bad that death would be better. But for the believer, no quality of life here on earth is better than what we look forward to in death. And, and I really mean this. In a weird sense, we should look forward to our death like we do Christmas morning or our wedding day or that vacation you've been longing to or whatever it is that you've been eagerly anticipating. And I know that sounds absolutely insane. I hear it too. I hope it sounds less insane to you here in a few minutes as we continue to look at this. So listen again to Paul's words and we'll go a little further. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet 
which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. And I wish I knew the situation better to understand how is it that he could have chosen death. Obviously, that's not something God intended for us to know, so don't dwell on that too long. Besides, it's really the next verse. It's verse 23 that's the absolute jaw-dropper. Let me read it again, but, but keep it in context. Go back to verse 21 and follow along with me. I know we're reading this a lot, but I want you to see this in the text. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Can you believe that? I am hard pressed between the two. Should I die or continue living? I am hard-pressed between the two. It's like he's weighing it on this scale, life or death, death or life, and somehow they both seem like good options. So either Paul really is crazy nuts out of his mind, or this encounter that he's had with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts 9 has given him a clear vision of what he gains in death. He gains Jesus Christ. What's he lose? He loses the joys of life. For that, it might just be breath. It might be a fast car, or playing new video games, or sitting in the backyard reading wonderful works of fiction, or sports, or friends, or family, or vacations on the beach and seeing new places. Maybe it's new episodes of Modern Family. It's accomplishing great things in your career, or the joy of, of marriage, or watching your children grow, or, or ministry to the people of God. Yeah, there's things to be lost, real things. But life or death, and your response is, I don't know. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Can you think like that? I don't very often, but I desire to. I, I long to, and I, I look to the Word like this and see, okay, that's the way I should think. And I've been pleading with God that that might be the way I think. I've been pleading on your account as well this week that he would make you think like that, all of us. So really ask yourself, am I hard-pressed? Does death appeal to you at all? Not as an escape, but as a great destination. I know, it's weird. It's just not the way we think. But imagine you have some chance to, to go to some closed country and to evangelize the lost and to serve orphans in the name of Christ. And, and by closed, really what I mean are those countries we call East Asia because our missionaries are afraid they'll be tracked down and killed. A, a trip like this, though, is, is seriously dangerous. What would you do? Would you even consider it? Or would danger immediately rule it out? If you go, you could be put to death for your Christianity, and if you stay in America, you're, you're probably going to live a long, safe life. If you're young, staying here might mean you can look forward to marriage and children and great jobs and, and all that. If you're older, staying here might mean you can live to a, a nice old age where you can retire and spoil your grandchildren. I can stay here and live the good life on the one hand, or I can, I can go and maybe they kill me. And, and understand this, I'm not saying that staying would be sin. It's not. But I wonder how many of us who profess that Christ is our great love would respond with that, you know, I'm... I'm hard-pressed between the two. Go share the gospel with no guarantee that anyone will even believe. 
maybe die some painful martyr's death, or, or stay here and live out your lives in this great country. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Oh, how I wish we could think like that. You know what, what makes you think like that? You know the big difference between Paul, who's, who's living this Christian life like this, and, and us who, who often, if we're honest, are living a, a lukewarm American Christianity? It's this. Paul didn't think that Christ existed. Paul didn't think that Christ was the Son of God. Paul didn't think that he would live with Christ throughout all of eternity after death. No, Paul knew those things. He knew those things were true. His faith did not consider those things as possibly true, or maybe even more than likely true. He just knew them as absolutely true. And when that's true, we no longer love this world more than we love Christ. We no longer seek first the pleasures of this world, but we, we seek the pleasure that's found in intimacy with Jesus Christ. I also seek pleasure in this world. And I, I don't mean sinful things, necessarily sinful things. I mean neutral, even good things at times that become evil only because I love them more than, than God. You know, we, we say we don't love these things more, but the choice between quiet prayer and time in God's Word or a moment of worship and the choice of really a favorite hobby or good movie or hanging out with a close friend, often we, we don't choose our Savior. Uh, and really, I'm, I'm just in shock that Paul's response to death or life here is hard-pressed between the two. I mean, who says that? Life or death, I am hard-pressed between the, the two. My, my prayer, my hope is that, that we can say that. Me, I say that. So here's what it takes. Paul encountered Christ on the road to Damascus. You're not likely to encounter the honorable Jesus Christ when you walk out of here. If you do, most of us won't believe you. It's not likely to happen, though. But we can know Christ to the same degree of confidence as we encounter him in the text of Scripture. So we must seek him there. And I admit, there are many more things to distract us today than, than people in the past ever faced. Shopping, entertainment, sports, investments, whatever it is. There's hundreds of things that we can find more interesting. My prayer, though, is that our redeemed hearts will find supreme joy in Christ over all those things. Let's look again at the text. Read with me verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Here, Paul's considering the need of the Philippians is more important than his own. Although his personal desire is strangely death, so that he's ultimately with Christ, he sees that it's far better that he remain and, and build up the church in Philippi. And so his desire for living is a desire for ministry. In verse 22, this phrase, fruitful labor, gives the idea that what our lives should be about. He, he means that for the Christian, there are two options. They are death, which comes in God's timing and means we are with Christ, hallelujah, or life that consists of fruitful labor. And we all labor. We labor with our talents. We labor with our money, with our time, with our energy. And we use those gifts to build up merely the kingdom of, of me, or do we use those gifts to build up the kingdom of God? What's amazing then is how Paul's contemplation between life and death then is so closely tied to the needs of others. Even in this, it's considering the needs of others. Either the gospel preached and the gospel lived out 
top priority in Paul's life. So brothers and sisters, what I want for us is for the gospel to be first in our lives. To embrace the words of Charles Stodd, who penned the well-known poem that reads, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What are you doing with your God-given talents that will last? How is your life being spent for the kingdom of God? Really, I'm asking you to ask yourself, what am I doing in life that really matters? Now, don't misunderstand me. If we are not careful, we might understand this as some sort of workspace salvation. I don't ever want you to misunderstand that. And so let me remind you of this. If you are redeemed, then you are redeemed by grace alone. No amount of good works will earn you forgiveness of God. None. In fact, all your works are really filthy rags before God. Only the grace of God, which gives you faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, is bringing salvation. However, we ought to rejoice in the fact that the same gospel that frees us from sin also frees us to serve in the name of Christ. Let's look at verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. Why would they glory in Christ Jesus? Because Paul comes to them. Is he really that arrogant? Does he really think that highly of himself? No way. Uh, remember, Paul's the same guy that in 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. He understood what a sinner he was. Paul knows that all too well. What Paul means here is simply that his release will show the Philippians that God is able to advance the gospel despite human efforts to prevent it, no matter how bad it seems. So like I said before, everyone sells out to something. My plea this evening is that you will not waste your life on worthless things of the world, building our own little temporary kingdoms, but to sell out and seeking to proclaim the glory of God, to pursue the everlasting kingdom of God with the life that you have been gifted. So I don't know if this is true of you or not, but many Christians today are wasting their life just by living like the world and then showing up to church on Sunday for a couple hours before returning to life that they left before. You won't find Christians in the New Testament who live their life that way. What you will find is, is men and, and women who give everything for the purpose of Christ. And it's still happening today. I, I had a friend in seminary some years back who went to China to help train leaders. And while he was there, some college and Chinese believers were there, and he went to talk to them. I love this story. He asked them, what do you want to be, right? Most of you have heard that question, especially you college students. And they looked at him just confused. So we asked him again, like, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a doctor or a teacher or what? And, and they looked confused again, and they said, we just want to be used of, of Christ. We want to tell people about the gospel. We, we want to worship God. We want to do whatever we can to glorify God. See, they knew that at any moment they could be taken and locked up, and they didn't care. That didn't ruin their life for them. And so while my friend was there, in fact, some government officials actually busted into their meeting, and everyone scattered. However, there were two men that were actually taken into custody, and that was the last I've heard about them. Last I talked to them, that no one had ever figured it out, or at least he had never figured out what happened to them. They could be locked in prison. They might have been let free sometime soon. They might have been put to death. We don't know. 
But it didn't stop anyone. And that's the part that was so amazing. It didn't stop anyone from coming back a few days later to another place to worship the Lord. And all this because Christ is their most valuable possession. Consider Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. It's a question of of heart, of love. How do we know what it is that we love? It's what we ultimately seek. Now, it's okay to seek leisure. Probably need to say that at this point, right? It's good to laugh. It's good to be silly and ridiculous sometimes. It's good to hang out with friends and to go to parties. It's okay to enjoy fiction and good food and entertainment. Those are God-given joys. 1 Timothy 6.17 even tells us to set our sights on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That's part of our glorying in Christ. So take time. Take time to enjoy that all that God has given us to enjoy. But let us also be careful. Let us be careful to set our priorities straight, to set our focus on God and not the gifts of God. Don't wait for time to spend with God in his word. It won't magically appear. Set time apart for that. Make time. Don't wait for your neighbors to come and pursue a relationship with you. Go to them, know them, so that they might see that God is a priority in your life. You know, let us live for Christ. Let us lay down our lives because we can. And we can because Jesus laid down his life for us. Let us put to use the talents he's given us for his glory. Let us spend the money he's, he's put under our stewardship on expanding his kingdom Let us use the relationships he's gifted us with for the glory of Christ. And I know this has been longer than than typical, but just one last thing. I don't want you to walk out of here today and and think that it's impossible to live this way. That's good for Paul, but I I can't do that. You know, we began looking at this with the reality of of death. You will die. One day your your car will wreck, your heart will give out, or, or cancer will take your life. That's what we know. And I know most of us know someone who is fighting cancer or someone who's fighting some sort of difficult disease. And I want what you've heard today to encourage you. And here's why. Cancer cannot take your joy. Cancer cannot take your hope. And cancer cannot take your treasure. Not if your treasure is Jesus Christ. At the very best, everyone in this room has about 100 years to live. Statistically, it's It's more likely 75 years. But those are are just numbers. The truth is, you're not guaranteed tonight. The reality of of death and our view of death will affect the way we live. We, We may view death as nothing to be feared, but an event that brings us into the presence of God, and that's the way we should view it. And so let us say with Paul, then, that it's our eager expectation and hope that we will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in our body, whether by life or by death. I want to close with a quote from Jim Elliot. I, I mentioned him in a sermon a few weeks ago. Remember, he was a missionary to Ecuador who lost his life bringing the gospel to these tribal people. And a few years later, his wife and child went back with some other people, and they also proclaimed the gospel to these people, and they, they believed it. I've always loved these words that he's penned. He says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 